This is Jim Minion from Two Loose Screws. I'm listening to Barbecue Central. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure you say whatever? We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. It is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you on your Tuesday. If you've always thought that, hey, this is the Tuesday that I will call, this is the Tuesday that I will email, but it's my first time in, and I don't know how to get in touch with the show, I can help you with that. Oh, now hold on a damn minute. I said I can help you with that. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, said BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, he is the newest first Tuesday of the month guest. He is the creator of howtobarbecuewrite.com. He is the pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue Competition Team. He is a YouTube and Instagram sensation, and most importantly, wrong sound effect, friend of this show, Malcolm Reed, will be joining us shortly. A lot of things to talk about with Malcolm. 35 past the hour. Oh, it wasn't two weeks ago, but a little over a week ago, Houston Livestock and Rodeo took place in Houston, Texas, and we'll be joined by... I don't I I want to make sure I'm using my words correctly so I will not throw out the term pitmaster here because I am not here to insinuate or offend or cast names on anybody that shouldn't but the person I was put in contact with to do this interview this evening because the team that won Operation Barbecue Relief which of course a fantastic organization one that I support personally one that I ask you to support Multiple times throughout the year, we do coverage as natural disasters hit. Uh, typically, David Marks is coming in on the show to talk about that. But I will be talking with Dwayne Daniel, Operation Barbecue Relief again. That team wins Houston Livestock and Rodeo just over a week or so ago. So it'll be great to catch up with him. Then we'll move into the second hour. Guy that I love to talk grilling with, especially, he is Weber Grills Pitmaster. He is an educator. He is a celebrity when it comes to live fire cooking and grilling and smoking and barbecue and all that stuff. Kevin Coleman will be joining us. 
Specifically, we'll be talking about all of the new revisions that the Genesis 2 grill has. We'll also get into a little charcoal summit. We'll be talking to some extent about smoking on the grill. You know I'm a big fan of having multiple cookers, all this stuff, but sometimes it's good to have one cooker, or if you have one cooker, sometimes it's really good to know how you can use it a bunch of different ways in order to get a different result out of it. So Kevin Coleman will be joining us, talking about a lot of different stuff there. And then to close it out, somebody that had efforted a couple weeks ago didn't work out because he's very busy. He has assured me that he is in this evening, the creator of L.A. Talk Radio and pretty much the existence of this live show, the Barbecue Central Show, Sam Hassan will be joining me to close it out tonight. So there you have it. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com are the ways to get in touch with me. Head on over to the YouTube page. Get in touch with everybody that's in Instant Chat. Lots of celebs hanging out there this evening. All right, a couple weeks ago, I had my first guest, and rarely do I have a first segment guest. We were celebrating a then-fresh 16-year-old Madison Rempe, but now well-seasoned in more ways than one. And she rejoins me here tonight. Manny, let me get your mic off mute. How are you, Matt? I'm good. All right, so big news here. Let's go ahead and play this thing here we go here we go central show exclusive very exciting all right greg rampy reporting for the breaking news desk here on the barbecue central show what's the breaking news maddie i got my driver's license we got them l's baby yep all right so let's break it down because it's been roughly let's see let me do this math here for you 44 years old and 16 18 years 28 years I've had my... (laughs) So it's been a little while since I've had my driving test. Mm -hmm. Although, it did consist of a driving portion and a, uh, whatchamacallit? Written? Yeah, written to get the temps, but then we did the uh, maneuverability, I think that's what they call it these days. Yeah. So... You know, you won't believe this, but, you know, way a hundred years ago, like when your grandparents were getting licenses, and I don't know if this is the case in other states, but at least in the state of New York, you used to have to parallel park. You didn't do maneuverability. They parked two cars, left space, and said, park in between them. Would you have rather done that or maneuverability? Maneuverability. Oh, of course. So uh, when we were getting ready to take our test, it was like, practice maneuverability, practice maneuverability. So, if you can lead us into the day of licensing, what did you have to do leading up to today? I practiced maneuverability. I wouldn't say a lot. I probably I went two times, but I did I did the maneuvering. Yeah. We like, did it like, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Time. Yeah. So, that was good practice, and then other than that, it was just like Driving around, so driving to school, driving to friends' houses, and stuff like that, just to get ready for the driving portion of the test. Now, no pressure here, but how do you feel as driving teachers, your parental units did? Like you? Yeah, oh, I'm a parental unit, so is your mom. <laughs> Have you met us? Yeah. Okay. How, how did we do? Good. Were we encouraging? Were we overbearing? Because people want to know that have... Uh, kids that are approaching your age or maybe they're in the middle of this whole learning thing like what kind of a 
teacher works best? I mean, you were good, but you were kind of pushy. Pushy how? Like you kept trying to get me to do things when I told you I wasn't ready to do them. You're like, well, you have to do them sometime. Do I talk like that? Sometimes. I do? Yep. You better do this or that. Yep. Fix that. You can't do that anymore. Yep. All right. So fast forward to, so you get, uh, what is it, 50 hours that you have to get with parents? Yeah. Which could be a lie, right? Yeah. Nobody knows. You've signed an affidavit, which is a legal document, by the way. Mm-hmm. So if anybody goes back to look, then I have to go to jail for that. But I'm not going to go to jail for it because we, we easily got 50 hours, probably in the first couple months. Yeah. Because we had you driving all the time. Yep. Where's your comfortability factor on highway? Comfortable. It's totally comfortable? Yeah. Yeah? I was doing it today and it was snowing. And it wasn't snowing hard. Yep. But because of how fast I was going, it like made it seem like it was coming down harder than it was, and it was kind of hard to see in front of me, but I did fine. Now let's talk about the big moment. You pull into the booming metropolis of uh, Painesville, Ohio. Few yep. know. There's actually a guy in the chat room that knows Painesville because he's from Ashtabula. And what happens? Well, you go in. Yes. And you, like, walk into the one room, you give them your paper, and then he asked what the model of the car was and what year it was and um, the license plate. And then he said, okay, get in the car and take it to the cones, the maneuverability cones. You do that right off the bat? Yeah. Whoa. That's the first thing you do. So then I did that. No problem. Nope. Mm. Oh, here's the question. Were they wider or narrower than we had practiced? Because we did both. I'd say they were narrower, but not, mm. but not by a lot. Okay. Like I, I mean, I got through without a problem, so that was fine. And then you go out onto the road after that. Yeah, do you go out onto a main road, yep. which is forty miles an hour, mm-hmm. and then you make a left and you go through a residential area, so it's like twenty-five, and then you go back to the place. How long were you on the road total? You think? Less than 10 minutes. Less than 10 minutes. Do you think that's a fair assessment of your driving skills? Are we putting inexperienced drivers on the road? I mean, I guess it depends on like how much you've driven before that. <laughs> I mean, I drove a lot, so. So if assuming you knew where to go, like if you knew how to get to Chicago, do you think I could just turn you loose and you'd be like, yeah, no problem? I mean, maybe. You, you wouldn't be scared. You'd try it. Yeah. All right. That's what I want. I want. I don't want scared drivers in my house. I want confident, willing drivers that will use GPS when necessary. All right. All right. So now we have a license. Now you're well. You're 16. Now you have the license. Got the L's, as you say. <laughs> yeah. We're figuring out what we're going to be doing about cars. What's the next big thing coming down the pike? I don't know. You don't know. No. End of the school year. Any big things coming up? No. Hmm. Okay. I'm just wondering, is that a cat like pounding against the door? Yeah, it's chewy. Oh my god. Can I let him in? No. Let's quickly <laughs> recap though. Sixteen a couple weeks ago. Yep. Licenses today. A fresh <laughs> license, not even five hours old, probably well, probably like seven hours old. Yep. And then 
We have no idea what's going to be going on from here on out, but the good news is you can drive to wherever that is. Yep. Somewhere or nowhere. Madison, congratulations once again. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. And drive safe and watch out for idiots. I will. All right. Thank you for coming back in. You're that welcome. is Madison Rempel. <laughs> Got them L's, dog. Got them L's. I just love saying that because it makes me sound very hip at 44 years old. A late 44, by the way. <laughs> Soon enough, I'll be 45. Thank you. Now we have two drivers in the house. We got one ready to go, 18 years old. We got Maddie. We got one, another girl at 13. So we got a couple years left. So I can make even more money. Figure out how we're going to come up with more cars in this house. Hmm. Interesting. John, I don't have my CDL yet, but I have to have it by the end of the year. All right, folks, let me talk to you quickly about Matt Eads, The Grill Seeker. I've told you for the last number of weeks, he's got a great new book coming out, soon to be released. How great is it? Premiered on Amazon as the number one new release in the barbecue and grilling section. It's called Grill Seeker Basic Training for Everyday Grilling. Let me tell you a little bit about the author from the battlefields of Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Bosnia, to a state-of-the-art outdoor kitchen. Matt Eads is looking to unite people through grilling. No matter our race, gender, sexual orientation, cultural upbringing, socioeconomic standing, or political affiliation, cooking over open fire brings people together. It sets differences aside. That's why you should go pre-order your copy of Grill Seeker, basic training for everyday grilling right now. The focus of Grill Seeker is to show readers that gourmet grilling doesn't have to just be a weekend activity. With Matt's tips and tricks, you can craft amazing meals and create amazing memories for family and friends every night of the week. The memories and the camaraderie that grilling has created for Matt, dating back to his teen years through his time in the Marines, fuel the desire to spread his passion for outdoor cooking. They're also the reasons he started the United by Flame movement on social media. Hashtag it, United by Flame. Some teasers in that recipe book that's going to be coming out. Grilled grapes and roasted garlic-infused ricotta crostini. Grilled Nashville hot chicken. I just had a Nashville hot chicken for dinner tonight. Grilled peach boats with mascarpone ice cream. Also, again, don't forget to try the United by Flame movement. Head on over to grillseeker.com. And above or at the very top of the site above the logo, click on the United by Flame link. Then check out the page. Don't forget, you can send Matt a photo of you cooking in front of him your grill or barbecue. He will put it on that page, and now you are exposed to all the other folks that are part of the hashtag United by Flame movement. Grill Seeker Basic Training for Everyday Grilling, now available for pre-order on Amazon, shipping April 9th. I believe that has been confirmed by Matt himself. So if you haven't ordered it, go pre-order it right now. It's going to be a great book. We're coming into cookbook season, folks. April, a big month, none bigger than Matt Eats. All right, Malcolm Reed coming up out of the break. Stick around, be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. 
This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products have been tested on the competition circuit as well as in backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit butcherbbq.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. Right, joining me now, the first Tuesday of the month, newest but recurring guest, creator of How to Barbecue Right, pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue Team, friend of this show, Malcolm Reed. Malcolm, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Greg. Man, it's hard to believe it's been a month already. I know, man. Time is flying by. I mean, you'll find out once you get on board with this train, man. You think you got time to geek it out and punch up and get all your stuff ready. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm like, hey, we're ready to go. Any questions? And you're like, whoa, man, it's like four weeks have blown right by. So what have you been up to recently? Man, it's it's been a whirlwind around here. I've been to the Bahamas and back, cooked at a steak contest, put out a couple videos and and tried to stay warm the whole time, too, I mean, yeah. which it wasn't hard to do in the Bahamas. No, I, I would assume that's pretty easy, but uh, coming back up here, especially in Cleveland today, I mean, we're single digits at best. It's starting to snow again, which I thought maybe, although we're in Cleveland, so I mean, it can snow all the way through June, for crying out loud, depending on how the wind blows off the lake. But before we get into a little bit of a recap on that SCA event over in Green Turtle, I want to talk to you uh, for some time to talk on these developing issues for what many consider to be the biggest barbecue event during the course of any calendar year, specifically Memphis in May. And there seems to be some type of a discrepancy on park renovation and are we going to have room for teams and the real Memphis in May competition. So what do you know about it and where do we sit with it currently? Well, I mean, that, that's exactly it. Um, it, it. What's happening is the city is um, – got a new company coming in for a plan to kind of revitalize some of the, the Tomley Park, which is where Memphis and May has been held for ever since it started. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was formed right there. And um, the plan that they've done, it's really changing up some. And not only is it affecting um, us barbecuers, it's also affecting Bill Street Music Festival, which is a huge draw. Mm. Um, you know, the, the month of May, the Memphis in May, is, is there's a lot of events that go on there in Tomley Park the whole month, and, and it's really affecting the whole thing, and it's got everybody just kind of up in arms over it. When you look at the park and you know the history of this whole thing, was there an issue with how the park has been set up? Is this a idea that was just sparked here over the last handful of months, and we decide, okay, this is the time we're going to try and get something done, and they're not really using any type of foresight as to what other events it might be affecting. Well, it, 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 I hate to say it, but it seems, and I'm no authority, but it seems like that that they're really not concerned with what it's going to do to the barbecue fest or even the music fest. I mean, they've they've got kind of a plan, but what we've seen um, from their pre- preliminary plans, it, it, there's no way it's feasible for it to work for barbecue. Um, there's way too much infrastructure that needs to be there as far as um, the guys setting, you know, the setting up the electrical, setting up the utilities, setting up the scaffolding, all the, you know, all the lanes we need just to get equipment in aren't there. And you can't just cram all, all of us guys in one area down there and just have us all side by side any tighter than what it already is. It just won't work. So either they're going to lose teams or, um, you know, they're going to have to change locations if they're going with that plan. 
Malcolm Reed joining me here on the show, howtobbqright.com, the website. Obviously, you can find them on YouTube as well, Pitmaster Killer Hogs Barbecue Team, How to Barbecue Right on all the social media channels as well. You plan on cooking uh, Memphis in May, assuming everything is still in working order by then? Oh, yeah. You know, this year, it's not going to affect it. We've kind of got another problem this year with the rising river. That's that's one thing. We don't know what's going on with it right now. But um, this doesn't really go into effect until after May. So Memphis and May is going as planned this year. So it'll all go into effect next year with what they're wanting to do. And that's, that's really what's concerning a lot of us. Um, I, I mean, we're, we're cooking and we've already got our acceptance and everything. So we're moving forward with this year just um, as, as normal. Quick question on cookers, Malcolm. Since you have a bunch of them from a competition standpoint, will you throw some use on that jambo at this year's Memphis and May? Or will you stay with what you've always used prior? Um, I, I've, I'm planning on taking the jambo and that's going to be my showpiece. That's the one that I'm going to put out front. We're going to cook, uh, we're actually doing the rib category this year and I'm going to do ribs on the jambo at Memphis in May. I think it's going to give them a great flavor. I'm going to be able to, you know, show off several slabs at once on that cooker and it can hold a ton of ribs and it's going to look slick parked right up front. Let me ask you about when you put that thought into choosing the protein. So it's ribs, it's whole hog, or it's pork shoulder. There's no brisket, there's no chicken or anything like that um, that can take the overall. So you win the category itself, and then the winners then go against each other to form an overall grand champion for the folks that don't know it. But it's always been my thought that if a whole hog cook steps up to the plate, they seem to have an advantage because it is a huge showpiece. It is a lot of attention to cooking a whole bunny, uh, a whole load of different muscles, having them have to come out right. It seems like you could cook a really great rib, but if somebody cooks a better whole hog or, or a decent whole hog, they might have a, a leg up or they might get some type of a special consideration. Is that not the case? Well, you hate to say that because you want to say everybody's got a fair chance. So with me going back to ribs, I think I got a good chance. But, you know, you are at a little bit disadvantaged. When, when you choose that whole hog, I mean, you've got to cook it right. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But you've got so much more meat to give those judges to pull from. And when you cook ribs, that's all you have is a slab of ribs. So um, ribs haven't won in, man, I, I would say well over – a dozen years. I couldn't tell you the last time they did win. I mean, are we probably, looking at a Mike Mills last time ribs won well, it kind of a thing, or has it been after that? There's been there's been a few after that, but I know uh, we started cooking ribs back in 06, and there hasn't been one, you know, there hasn't been a rib winner since I've been involved, involved cooking down there. Hmm. So that tells you how far it goes back. I think it was like 04, don't quote me on it, but it was a couple years before we really got started, um, was, a you know, the last rib team. And, you know, there's been some great guys. Mark West has won ribs three times down there. Um, and he has, you know, he, he's been close. But they, I guess he's the closest guy that I know personally that's come close to winning it all with the rib. Um, shoulders, it seems to rotate from shoulder to hog every year. And we, we were in shoulders uh, for the past six years. But we just want a new location. It's, um, you know, we kind of got burnt out on our spot where we are. I want we're, We were always down on the far end away from everybody. I want to be – kind of in the middle in the thick of things this year maybe get some better visibility and, and go, i'm going to have a good time of course i want to win yeah but i want to go have a good time and see everybody and just try a new location out and shoulder man and no uh no disrespect but chris Lilly is a bitch on that category i mean he's typically the guy that's coming out and he's won it five different times he's, he's hard to guard 
he is the man to beat in shoulder category. Him and Mark Lambert, they seem to they seem to go back and forth being up there in shoulders. But but yeah, and, and we were about six spots down from Chris, so you know we're bumping judges the whole time. And and I'm looking to get away from him a little bit. <laughs> Malcolm Reed joining me here on the show. Uh, Malcolm, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that uh, Green Turtle Key or Green Turtle K trip you took to the Bahamas. There was a State Cook-Off Association event that was folded into this, but how did the trip come up? What was it all about? Well, um, Brad and Susan from Grill Greats, uh, um, they, they have a house down there in Green Turtle Key. And they're great people. You know, we couldn't, I couldn't cook the steaks I cook without those grill grates. I think that's the one thing you find in common. There's all kinds of grills out there, but just about everybody has a set of those. And so they wanted to host a contest uh, down there in the winter, which was a great time. There wasn't a whole lot going on around. It's cold here. So why not go to the Bahamas and cook a contest? Was it any different than a normal con? I mean, aside from being in a palatial area and great weather on a beach. Was it pretty much uh, the same setup and go that you would do something akin here domestically? It was. Um, the only thing, we didn't bring our grills. Uh, Brad had brought down, um, I guess, man, he must have had 26 uh, Weber grills, mm-hmm. like 22-inch kettles for us to cook on. I uh, had the grill grates, had us a grill glove, the tools, a thermometer, knives, cutting boards. All we had to do was show it with some seasonings which made it really easy. And the SEA guys, Brett and Ken and, and Danny, they, they kind of repped the contest. So it went, I mean, it went off without a hitch. And they had some great steaks from Snake River Farms. And, you know, we all got our two steaks and did the best we could in the wind there on the beach. And I didn't come up very good. I mean, I was like 21st, but I think I'd had so many of those rum drinks by that time. I didn't really care. So <laughs> how many teams are in that? Uh, there were 28. There were 28 teams, and they had 26 grills, but there were a couple husbands and wives that uh, used the same grill. And so they just kind of had – we all were just right there elbow to elbow, sharing tables and, you know, helping each other out if need be. I mean, we, we fought the fire a little bit. Um, you know, the wind made it a little challenging to, to get those Webers uh, where we wanted and where we used to running them. But um, all in all, it was a great cook. Are you a PK grill guy otherwise? I, you know, that's what I cook on all the SCA events. Um, I've just got – I started out cooking on Weber, so I'm, I was familiar with cooking on them. I still cook on them at the home, but yep. as far as SEA goes, I cook on PK with grill grates. You've seen the growth of competitive steak, obviously. Where do you see that whole thing? And there are now a bunch of different, well, not a bunch, but at least you know three or four different sanctioning bodies. you got SEA, you have the American Competitive Steak Association that's based out of Columbus, Ohio. You have whatever version that uh, KCBS is trying to trot out. Where do you see competitive stake as a whole over the next handful of years? I see it grow. I mean, it's steady growing. I like what they're doing. They're adding uh, other categories, like they're adding ribs in some of them. And, you know, they're, they're in a position where the guys running that are really listening to the cooks, and they're not scared to make changes as they need be if it's a, if it's a, a change that makes sense to them. Because those, uh, Brent and Kim were cooks first, too, before they started the SEA. And they're they're just – they're all about the cooks and making it easy on everybody from the organizer to the reps to the us cooks. So I think that, I mean, it's a great thing. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of room for growth in, in the steak cooking world. I mean, and you see about how many is popping up. Every little town's doing a steak contest now. Malcolm, can you break down your steak technique for us when it comes to the competition side of things? Man, I don't get real crazy with it, Greg. I, you know, I'm, I'm a salt pepper guy. I, I 
I got a, you know, my APCs and salt, pepper, garlic. That's the first thing I usually put on them. Yeah. Uh, when I get my steaks, I trim them up a little bit, but I don't get real aggressive. I'm, I try to pick a steak because uh, you know they lay them out on the table and yeah. we get to pick two steaks. So I try to pick one that's got some decent marbling to it, not too much fat around the eye. I want I want some, but I don't want too, too much because I don't want it to fall apart on me. And then if it has a tail on it, that's fine. I can trim that off. I just try to get a decent decent ribeye. And then I look for one with a good spinalis because that's what they're judging us on when they're tasting, or at least I want them to judge me on, the best part of the steak. And then we're trying to nail the tenderness across the eye. And so I get one that you know has a decent size eye on it to where when they cut it at the cut table, there's enough meat there for them to see how well I cooked it. Um, the cook process is simple. I hit it with a little AP. I use a little bit of like a, a traditional barbecue rub. Not real sweet. I use, I use my hot rubs. I don't want a lot of sugar on it, but I want that pepperiness. And that's just for color. And then I finish it off with a little bit of ground steak seasoning. And you can use any kind of steak seasoning. But it's all about, it's all about you know, cooking a steak that's going to really resonate with the judges. It has a good steak flavor. But it's, it's really you got to nail that medium. And that's the challenge in these things, hitting that medium temperature. Where are you pulling it off? And how much degrees are you accounting for carryover when you let it rest? Well, it, it depends on um, what the temperature is outside, what the conditions are like. I've seen them done at 128, carrying over to about 133. <laughs> I've, I've taken them off at 132, and I carry over to about 137. They're usually going up about five degrees with the little rest. But you got to think if it's real cold outside like it is now, you got different conditions. So I may take it just a little bit further because I know it's, you know, I need it. But if it's real hot, I'll take it off at like 128 in the summertime. So it, it just kind of depends on the feel of the weather that day. You know, Malcolm, I didn't realize from a competition barbecue standpoint <laughs> until maybe six or seven years ago, and I think I was talking to Melissa Cookson, actually. We were talking about flavors and do you hit it with them anything before you run them to the judge tent or anything like this. And she had said, hey, you know, when we practice at home, we dial in our seasonings on lukewarm and cool barbecue because that's pretty much what the judges are tasting it would be fruitless for us to try and tweak those on hot meat and thusly the flavor profile is going to change when the meat cools off does a similar thing go for the steak or do you think or do you find that the judges are getting warmer to hot steak after turning well they try to get it to them as hot as possible and i've found just by cooking them at home now that now i was cooking when it was a little warmer outside that they will carry over and they'll stay pretty warm for a while. So they're, they're not getting stone cold unless they're just piled up on the cut table. Um, and, but what I do is I try to time it and I try to see what's going in. I don't just jump in right at the very beginning of the window because, you know, you've got 30 minute window in steaks. That's pretty widespread yeah, out yeah. for a normal size contest. I mean, you can, you know, you can go in and it not be backed up. Chances are you could go straight to a cut table and go right to the judges and you're, you know, you're not losing a whole lot, but, um, they do carry over. That's a fact. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched it myself. So um, I try to hit them on that carryover maximum, get them turned in, and as it's falling back down, it's perfect when they get it. Malcolm Reed joining me here on the show. All right, so let's get into this little bit of a argument or sidestep here. You had mentioned grill grates. You said you couldn't use grill grates and not have the success that you've had on this particular product. I think if you go to any SCA event or competitive stake event to a by-and-large degree, 90% of the teams are probably using grill grates to a certain degree. Has it gotten to a point already in its early growth stage 
to where judges have become accustomed to seeing the grill marks on steaks that grill grates provide to where a team would not want to take a risk and either flip the grill grates over and do like an overall browning, which I think if I was doing a contest, I would do. But then, of course, the little devil on the side, or maybe it's the angel going, hey, stupid, you know how everybody else is going to turn this in. You're going to stick out, and it's not going to be in a creative, let's reward that guy way. It's going to be, that's not what it's supposed to look like, and we're going to penalize him way. Well, you know, I don't know if the judges are really looking for those grill marks, but it seems like the contest that I've cooked, that it's always been the case. The steak's one that's had them. They're not um, looking the, for the grill marks the way KCBS judges aren't looking for garnish? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, and you got to think about this, too, though. When they cut these steaks, the, it can look, it's one thing to, to judge the looks when it's in the box, not cut. You can clearly see the grill marks. You can tell if they're perfect or not. But the judge isn't seeing them in that state. They're seeing it cut and usually separated out and a lot of times propped up. So it's not – I don't know if it's as big a factor. I don't know. Maybe it's a mental thing for me. But, I mean, I don't know. If, I would I would, I would, would always cook on grill crates just because I've had the luck with it. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying it's not not as likely for it to – you know, for you to do well without doing them. Of the three components that are – stereotypically considered to be what you need to win at an SCA event. Grill grates, B&B charcoal, and a PK grill, whether it be a 360 or original. Would you say that the grill grates are the one that stands high above the other two or the other two pretty close to the grill grates? You give me a grill grate and a thermopin, and I'd cook on anything. Those two things are critical. Um, and I'm just, a, I'm a thermopin guy, man. I don't think you can beat those thermometers. I don't get paid by them, Heard but that. that's besides my grill or, you know, in steak cooking, besides my grill grates, I'm, I'm having a thermopin. Who's the best steak cook right now in the SCA, in your opinion? Man, that's tough. It'd be hard not to say, uh, Chuck Edwards, cause he's the man from last year. He's the man to beat. And, uh, but you know, there's a lot of great, the thing about SCA cooking is anybody can win on the, any given day. I've seen more first-timers win in the SCA than any other competitive food cooking that I've done. And it's I think it's just because we're cooking a ribeye steak, and a lot of people are familiar with them, and, and it doesn't take anything super elaborate or super out of the box to win. You can cook a good, If you can cook a good steak, you can do it. I'm getting a couple people ask me in the instant chat here, Malcolm, if because uh, we're coming up to this portion of the season where it's like events. You have har- uh, home hearth patio. You have MBBQA. Are you going to be attending any of these? I don't. I know I'm going out to a special event in Utah, in Salt Lake City. Uh, I think it's next week for Traeger. They're doing. They're unveiling some new grill. They're keeping all hush hush. Um, I may be at the MBBQA, but I'm not 100 percent positive because my son's playing baseball, and this is a bad time of year for for me to squeeze some cooks in and still make his baseball games. It's tough, so I may have to sacrifice some of those. Um, you know, shows or conferences that I like to attend this year. From a YouTube update, what's new on the video side? Man, we're just trying to uh, come up with some new recipes and new ideas and and, and get our podcast going too. I, I know uh, you kind of sparked my interest in podcasts a lot last year at the MBBQA, and me and Rochelle kind of stuck with it and are trying to figure it out. We're nowhere near, you know, pros yet like like yourself but, but we're having a good time with it and that's what we're going to continue to do i'm going to try to do i try, I try to do a, a recipe a week but there's a, some weeks like this week it's super cold i didn't do anything i gave myself a week off so 
Here's my well, advice. Ready? Here's my advice. <clears throat> do it for a year, and then do it for another year, and then do it for 12 more years. Then come talk to me, pal. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. Meanwhile, you got half a million subscribers on YouTube, so who the hell am I? Uh-oh. You know what you're doing. You know what you're <laughs> well, doing, pal. You got it. I, I put the same <laughs> philosophy. We put the same philosophy in YouTube. You know, we start. I, I know I started a little bit after you, um, and because I remember coming on your show earlier. You know, back earlier in my YouTube yep. career, yep. and it was just one of those things, man. Where I, you know, I saw you sticking with it, and then we decided to stick with our YouTube. And and that's the one thing. If you say, and everybody, when people ask me, it's being consistent and sticking with it. I know it's hard, and, and you know, it seems like you may not be getting anywhere, but man, over the years, it pays off. No doubt, Malcolm Reed can be found how to BBQ right.com, how to BBQ right on all the social media handles, and the pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue can be found here the first Tuesday of each month. Malcolm, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Hey, looking forward to next month, Greg. Have a good one, man. You got it. There he is, Malcolm Reed. We got zero deer talking, but hey, we get to talk. I mean, that's how it is. I get the agenda going. We start talking about Memphis in May at first, and then, of course, that branches into other topics that I didn't even think about, and I cut out a whole other divergence that we were going to be talking about with Memphis in May, which was if you're six-tenths down from Chris Lilly, where does his star power rank in the on-sites? Does he have an advantage? Does he have a disadvantage? Maybe next time I will ask Malcolm that. All right, we got Dwayne Daniel coming up out of the break. Let me talk to you quickly about Southside Market and barbecue. Attention, folks, in the business of barbecue, and that's pretty much all of us, right? Let me tell you a little bit about Southside up front, established in 1882, Southside Market and Barbecue, the oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They've been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. They offer premium Central Texas barbecue products, slow-smoked over real wood, shipping, distributing, manufacturing sausages for companies across the U.S., from food trucks to multi-chain restaurants. Southside sausages can be on your menu, too. All meats processed in that on-site USDA-inspected facility, trusted partner with a focus on quality and authenticity, wholesale options available, shipping nationwide via FedEx. You can find them on food service distribution via Cisco, U.S. Foods, and Martin Foods. Co-packaging capable from research and development to package completion. They can follow your recipe or help you develop something brand spanking new. They also have private label opportunities available as well. Not familiar with what that is? How about this? If you love Southside Market sausage so much that you would love to sell their sausage in your shop or truck or whatever, but you want to put your logo on it, that's private label. You get in touch with them and say, hey, I want to sell that beef sausage or that cheddar jalapeno or whatever. They'll work with you so you can get your stuff, your brand on that packaging, and you sell it as yours, but it's there. So you know the quality is there. Very popular, private labeling. Get into it. Visit southsidemarket.com for more information. If you want 10% off your online order, use BBQ Central at checkout in the code. That's BBQ Central, lowercase, all one word. You get 10% off that entire online order at Southside Market and Barbecue. Little recap of the Houston Livestock and Rodeo coming up next. Stick around, be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show.
continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit CookinPellets.com to purchase, or if you would prefer, you can do that at Amazon.com as well. In any event, they have great flavors. Some of them are 100% species, so check it out, CookinPellets.com. The Houston Livestock and Rodeo took place uh, just over a week or so ago, and within that event is one of the most well-attended barbecue contests, most prestigious contest to win this year. Operation Barbecue Relief takes down the crown. Here to help me recap the event, Dwayne Daniel. Dwayne, how are you, buddy? Man, I'm great, Greg. How are you today? I'm absolutely fabulous, Dwayne. Appreciate you making time here for the show this evening. I guess before we get into the event recap, for the folks that don't know, uh, for the folks that don't know you, a little background about yourself and competition barbecue. Well, first of all, I just want to say uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's my first time on. Yep, for uh, sure. I hate that I had to follow a legend like Malcolm Reed, a <laughs> uh, good buddy of mine, uh, but I, I do appreciate it. Yep. A uh, little recap on myself. Uh, actually, just a small-time barbecue cook, uh, done a lot of stuff locally. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing really competitive, competitive. I mean, we did do the circuit there for a little while and, uh, got hooked up with a group out of Kennett, Missouri, which was a redneck grillers. And, uh, they afforded me the opportunity to go a little more and, uh, learn the trade a little bit, had a little bit of luck, you know, uh, and during that process is when I found out about operation barbecue release. Let's pull back for a second here. For the folks that aren't familiar with Houston Livestock and Rodeo, how many teams are in it, and how is a team able to compete? This isn't an event that you can just pay an entry fee and roll into, correct? That That is correct. This year, I believe there was 259 teams. Uh, the waiting list wow. to get into the Houston Rodeo is a mile long. Uh, you know, And I will be honest, the way that we got into it, uh, Back in August of 2017, Operation Barbecue Relief uh, responded to uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, there in Houston, yep. and we was uh, we was deployed there for 11 days, fed 371,760 meals, wow. and uh, lo and behold, uh, one day I was sitting in there, and, and this lady come up to me and was looking for a job to do, and we get to talking and. I wanted to, uh, you know, find out what her interests were, what her strengths were to, to be able to place her in the, uh, in our volunteer pool, you know, to the, to the best spot that she would be comfortable with. And lo and behold, it turned out to be a lady named Jennifer Hazelton, which was the CFO to the Houston rodeo. And, uh, as with any competition cook and, uh, you know, that, that, that we are mostly in OBR, you know, the Houston rodeo is a, let's say one of the what i consider one of the four prestigious events to go to and you know i just made a comment that man that was on my bucket list one of these days and <clears throat> told her you know that uh i've been afforded the opportunity to uh cook at memphis in may the the american Royal, the jack you know but houston was on that bucket list and uh, a couple of weeks after we got back from that deployment i got an email from her and said hey you need to check out our facebook page and uh the Houston rodeo returned a big favor for us, for us going down and helping out the community of Houston. And, 
actually we we learned a story this year that we wasn't uh, that we didn't know last year. The spot that we was given was the actual spot for the city of Houston. So the city wow. and the rodeo come together and gave us a spot and gave us a uh, an opportunity to go into the rodeo and so, into the world championship contest. So that's a great repayment for the work that you guys were doing down there for the folks that were displaced, first responders, and so on. I mean, you said just short of 400,000 meals over that 11-day period. Is this a one-time opportunity, or is that going to be now a standing offer going forward where OBR will be able to cook this event? Uh, it is going to be a a, a, a forward opportunity. Wow. Uh, we got down there last year. But be honest, we, uh, you know, as uh, as with any competition that's that large and that that type of a uh, you know a team entry. I mean, it's all a crapshoot. It it has to do with you know number one, you have to cook a good product, but it's it's a little bit of luck on what uh, what table you end up on and this that and the other. And how the judges perceive your entries that day. Well, last year we lucked up and we finished third in ribs, uh, and. Uh, Actually finished 11th in brisket. Had a little trouble with our chicken last year. We had a uh, had a malfunction with one of our gurus. Uh, got wet overnight and uh, couldn't really pull out of it. And you know, uh, scored a little lower on chicken than we'd like. But we still ended up sixth place overall. So I mean, you know, we was kind of pumped about it. And uh, at that time, we didn't know if it would be a one-time opportunity. And uh, and they assured us right after the rodeo last year that it would be a uh, an opportunity to go forward as long as we wanted it. Dwayne Daniel joining me here on the show. We're talking about the recap of the Houston Livestock and Rodeo Operation Barbecue Relief here that takes down the crown. So there's a lot of teams that are there that are competing as themselves. Maybe they're on champion row. Uh, There's some other teams that don't have near the experience that a lot of these other vets have, and they're just kind of doing it all themselves. How was Operation Barbecue Relief set up? There are some uh, other teams. For instance, there's, uh, I think, Jay Tinney, who had a spot on Champions Row, but he had brought in three different cooks to cook three different meats, and he was more or less the team manager, if you will. So uh, were you a, a manager of Operation Barbecue Relief, or how was it set up for you guys? That, that, that's exactly what it was, Greg. I was, uh, man, I had the easiest job in the rodeo uh, down at the contest, uh, you know, with, with Operation Barbecue Relief, we've got access to some of the world's and, and the nation's greatest cooks, uh, a lot of consistent people, a lot of people believe in the organization. And I was able to pick uh, uh, my cook team last year and this year both. Uh, I had a, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're down in Texas, so what's prevalent in Texas? It's brisket. Yeah. So I went down to Texas and I picked out our best brisket cook that I thought we could get was Joey Smith, uh, Texas Chrome. And, uh, I turned him loose, you know, and uh, my my rib cook this year was Mark Lambert. Well, you know, what can you say that <laughs> someone doesn't about Mark Lambert? You know, it's a, uh, you know, multi-time uh, winner at Memphis in May. Yeah, yeah. Uh, had won uh, the ribs and the American Royal, I believe, last last year or maybe the year before. Uh, and then we had a, a guy cooking our chicken, which is Scott Guy, that uh, a lot of people probably don't don't know the name per se, but. Uh, Scott uh, cooked with a uh, with a Memphis and May team, predominantly natural born grillers, which is John David Wheeler. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like I say, my my job was easy. I, I told the guys that uh, I was there to help them. Uh, I didn't care what they cooked, the recipe they cooked. I didn't need to, didn't need to, you know, approve of anything. Just turned in the best product they could. And you know, basically, I'm tell you what my job consisted of this year. I helped uh, I helped sauce one chicken when Mark was pulling his ribs out. And, 
I also, uh, Mark looked at me and said, Hey, which four bones do I finish putting in this box? That was my extent of the, uh, of my cooking ability at the rodeo. Like I say, it was, a uh, man, it, it was tough, but I mean, somebody had to do it. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was an easy job. My, my, my team and, uh, or our team, I should say made it very easy. If that isn't the definition of heavy lifting, Dwayne, I don't know what it is. I'm glad somebody showed up and was able to pull that out. I'm glad that was you, Dwayne. Well done, and hopefully you can do that again next year. So as you Boy, start to like, I, 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 I tell you what, Greg, it's not going to be from the lack of trying next year. <laughs> I can assure you, no doubt. Uh, so as you are going through like calls and on this show, we know a lot about how a bunch of other sanctioning bodies do their awards. How does Houston Livestock do their awards and? Is it does it crescendo with a you know here's a bunch of teams that are in the running and here's who wins it? Well, uh, you know what it, it's an all blind judging. They they actually changed the rules last year a little bit. Uh, beforehand, I mean, every every team down there is a lot. so many spaces. You know, I mean, uh, a a standard spot is a forty by forty. There's a lot of larger teams down there that may have you know four or six uh, spaces. Uh, a couple of years ago, like I said they changed the rules from from the beginning. When uh, let's say a team that had six spots, they could turn in one meet, but they could turn it in six times. And uh, last year they went to the basically the KCBS ICBA type rules, to where no matter how many spots you had, you only got to turn in one entry, but you could turn in all three meets, which like I say was brisket, ribs, or chicken. So it, it kind of uh, it kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. I, I talked to. Uh, to a couple of guys out of the rodeo uh, this year after we won, and uh, you know they they said predominantly this year that the uh, the smaller teams won. It's the guys that are that were more well rounded in cooking actually you know kind of dominated the the award ceremony. And what they do there is they take the uh, take the top ten uh, out of the blind judging, and that you become a finalist. And that's where it ends. It's it's uh, it's done. They take the uh, the low and the high score. They throw that out. And add the rest of them together and get your points. If there's a tie, they add the low and the high back in and and do the tiebreakers. So that's uh that's how they go about their business down there. When Operation Barbecue Relief is called as overall champs, I mean it's got to be an incredible feeling. That's a huge competition to win. I mean people want to win that not only every year, but they just want to take one down over the course of their career if they are lucky enough to get in it. And there's hired guns and barbecue contract assassins, as I like to call them, that show up in there. I have some uh, friends on this show that have been a part of winning teams. What's it like, and what are you guys talking about after you guys kind of realize you are the champions? Man, I, I tell you what, Greg, it was a, uh, you know, it, it was an unreal moment. Uh, knowing Knowing our cooks that have been, uh, you know, been all over the America cooking different contests and winning this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, just having that feeling, uh, it, it, it was nerve wracking while you're on stage waiting for, you know, waiting for your name to be called and, and this, that, and the other. But when it finally happened, I mean, it was just, uh, it, it was true elation, just, uh, you know, a, a feeling that you can't, uh, that you can't really put, put in words. From a cooker standpoint, I'm, I'm interested. You guys use the same kind of cooker for each meat, or did each guy bring their own separate cooker? Each guy brought their own cooker. Right. Uh, Joey cooks on a uh, on a jambo, uh, cooked his brisket over there, which uh, Mark Lambert cooked uh, 
cooked his ribs on the backwoods. That's what he is uh, famous for. And we yeah. cooked the uh, chicken on one of Mark Lambert's little bitty red box smokers. You know, it's a, it was a very simple setup, uh, you know, which down in Houston, you have to, they, they come by and tag your meat and you get two entries per, per deal. So they take two briskets, two racks of ribs and two chickens. So, I mean, uh, at, at some of the other contests where you have, you know, larger pits and this, that, and the other, just not needed down there. <laughs> and, uh, we, we had a very small footprint as far as the, uh, as our cook side inside our site and, uh, worked out, worked out well. Dwayne Daniel joining me here on the show, recapping the Houston livestock and rodeo win with team operation, barbecue relief, you know, through various sanctioning bodies, Dwayne, you hear a lot, especially over the last couple of years about increasing the payouts and, making contests worthwhile to compete in because of the expense it takes to get out there and actually be competitive. This event really isn't about the money that much. It's about belt buckles and bragging rights and being philanthropic. What kind of a payout do you get for winning the Houston Livestock and Rodeo? Absolutely zero. Wow. Uh Great payout. Absolutely zero. Wow. You, You get the, uh, you know, as the old saying goes, it's a, it's a prestigious title that no one can take away from you. Uh, I will be honest. We got some very nice belt buckles from the Houston rodeo, which, uh, I proudly wore at our, uh, OBR training and awards banquet this past weekend that everybody kind of, kind of Googled over a little bit and mm-hmm. do nod over. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's more of a, a prestigious, uh, prestigious title than it is about money. Dwayne, next year, is there any reason to believe that you wouldn't be rotating back the same three guys that took down the championship this year? I believe in rewarding success. <laughs> the uh, same guys will be uh, will be with me and, and just, until one of them backs out and we prove that we can't be competitive. And, uh, you know, with, with the group that I have, uh, the, I don't see the Cook team changing anytime soon. Uh with Operation Barbecue Relief, we do believe in spreading the wealth. There will be different uh, different volunteers in different roles of the organization that may came, come in and and do different parts of the uh, what we call the front of the house, the uh, the promotion uh, of OBR. But uh, the cook team will remain the same as far as I'm concerned. Dwayne Daniel, and, and really, really, can you blame me? I mean, you know. Hey, uh, uh, I've always been a fan and subscriber. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And if you are winning the championship, there's no reason that I wouldn't be turning around those same guys if they're willing to come back in 2020 and, and go to defend. I think you're right on. I, I tell you what, with the uh, with the smiles that I've seen on those guys' faces and the hugs and the laughter and this, that, and other, I, I just can't, uh, I can't see any one of them not wanting to come back. Yeah, and it's an all-time title, uh, no doubt about it, and it's Dwayne Daniel, Operation Barbecue Relief, helping me recap it and break it all down. Dwayne, really appreciate the time this evening. Uh, If you are looking to support Operation Barbecue Relief, what's the website to go hit? Uh, www.operationbbqrelief.org. You can also, if you want to sign up to volunteer, uh, you can text OBR to 51555. 51- Five 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 to volunteer. All right, Dwayne, really appreciate the time tonight, my man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Greg. You got Have it. Good night. There he is, Dwayne Daniel, Ooh. Operation Barbecue Relief, Texas Post, Houston Livestock and Rodeo team manager, and they take down the title in 2019. That's right. 
your current Houston Livestock and Rodeo champions if you need them. Joey Smith, Mark Lambert, Scott Guy, Dwayne Daniel, team manager. And as I was going back and forth with Texas correspondent Doug Scheiding, he said, hey, this is a huge event to win, but it is also mega corporate. It's super hard to get into, echoed by Dwayne Daniel, of course. I think that uh, waiting list that's a mile long is like 15 years long, so that might even be more than a few miles. So congratulations to the cooks at Operation Barbecue Relief for taking it down. 2019 champs, they will turn back around in 2020, assuming they're all down for that on the Cook side to defend that championship. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to come back and wrap the first hour right after I tell you about Green Mountain Grills as I talked with Jason Baker last week from Green Mountain Grills. The Prime line is now out. If you're looking for a new pellet smoker, Prime Green Mountain Grill is what you're going to want to take a look at. They have these great look-in windows, both on the hopper and in the main cooking chamber. So if you're a looking ain't cooking subscriber, you can now look through the window and see everything and you don't have to worry about temperatures needing to recover or adding time on. I mean, Meathead has uh, disproven all that looking you're not cooking BS. But, you know, if you're a subscriber, look through the window. You can look through the pellets. It's on a much sturdier and weighted frame or chassis, if you'd rather call it that. It's got the front shelf now that the old Green Mountain Grills never had. That's going to be great. A lot of great features that are dual meat probes. How about that? 12-volt power. We talked at length about why 12-volt power technology is going to be the wave of the future, at least for Green Mountain Grills, because of the ability to properly manage the RPMs on the fan. Pellet consumption now going through the roof. Big numbers, as Jason Baker had mentioned last week. So if I have piqued your interest or, as I say, please give show sponsors first consideration if you're in the market for anything. Check out the Prime Line. They also have that classic line as well. I have two of those in my backyard that I've had for years, probably going on a decade now. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. The Jim Bowie is the biggest. The Daniel Boone is middle. Davy Crockett is your portable version. The Daniel Boone and the Jim Bowie can also accommodate the pizza oven, which you're definitely going to want to get, and you'll thank me later for that. 150 bucks or less. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, thanks again to Dwayne Daniel, Operation Barbecue Relief. Houston Livestock and Rodeo, overall grand champions. Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue. It's an amazing show. Greg does a great job on this. I'm surprised more barbecue freaks don't watch this show. Joe, thanks for the kind words, but most barbecue freaks download this show on podcast. They're not here to watch live. Remember, this was a podcast at its very beginning. All right, we are going to be coming back for the second hour, so stick around.